0: If we could, pray together before we open the Word of God together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for the glory of your grace, the glory of your mercy that you extend to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we give you thanks that you have seen fit to, resi- to reveal yourself to us through your Word. Father, it's your word that we turn to now. Lord, it is your word that we cling to for all life and for all hope. Lord, for expectation of of a future with you in all eternity. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you begin to find your way to the book of Hosea. Samuel mentioned that two or three years ago he preached through the book of Hosea, so maybe you're familiar uh, with how to get there. If you're not, let me just say that the easiest way to to find one of these small Old Testament books is is really to go to the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew. And from Matthew, work your way back towards Genesis, and you're going to work your way through about 11 small books, and, and then you'll get to the 12th, which is called Hosea. He is one of the minor prophets. And as we consider Hosea and his prophecy this morning, I'll just let you know that he's considered to be a minor prophet, not because his message is any less important than Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel, but but that the book itself is is minor in its length, it's shorter, and so that's why they're called the minor prophets. My wife and I are glad to be here and and considered it a real privilege uh, to be able to come and to preach. Uh, For this congregation this morning and on behalf of Covenant Life Fellowship We just want to thank you for your support and for your prayer for us uh, In our beginning years and and we're deeply uh, Thankful and 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 have much gratitude in our hearts uh, for Park Hills Baptist Church With that said I want to get to the preaching of the word this morning the context of Hosea's prophecy really begins back in Genesis 12. So if we're going to understand where we're at in the book of Hosea, we really have to understand where the context begins back in Genesis 12. Don't, don't worry, we're not going to preach all of Genesis 12 leading up to Hosea. But I do want you to know that, that where we find ourselves in Hosea begins really in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a covenant with Abraham and therefore makes a covenant with the people, the the people we know to be the people of Israel. What we see happen unfolding over the course of the Old Testament is that God calls Israel to Himself. He sets Israel apart for Himself. He rescues Israel from slavery. He rescues them from the Egyptians. He leads them. He gives them a land. He gives them military victory. He gives them His law. He gives them His presence and when the people began to wonder he gave them judges and the people begin to wonder even more and rebel even more he he gave them a king this is what we see to be true in the reality in the life of the people of israel they had a bend towards rebellion it, it, it's as if they, they just leaned in that direction to rebel against the god who had saved them What we see happen in the history of Israel is that they eventually split into two nations. The ten tribes of the north are what we know to be the tribe of Israel, and the two tribes in the south are what we know to be the tribe of Judah. Hosea is a prophet to the ten northern tribes of Israel. And he's one of the most unique prophets in all of Scripture. The reason he's one of the most unique prophets in all of Scripture is because God certainly calls Hosea to speak His Word to His people. This is what we typically see from the prophets, is it not? Thus saith the Lord. Well, Hosea certainly does that, but, but he's unique in that God calls him to display His Word and His truth to His people through his life, through his marriage to a prostitute, through his adoption of, of two children that aren't even his and through His pursuing love for a woman that that abandons Him time and time again. The book of Hosea is about divine love. It's about God's holy, majestic, and incorruptible love. You know, the thing about God's love that we see, particularly from the first three chapters of Hosea, is that God's love looks nothing like the kind of love that we're sold by this world. It looks nothing like the kind of love that that we're led to believe in by this culture. This morning, I pray that we see God's love in its redeeming realities. In the face of the greatest betrayal, what we find is the greatest love is extended. So let me set the scene up for you, if I can, in Hosea chapter 3. What we find in Hosea chapter 3 is this. Hosea has been called to to marry an adulterous woman. Her name is Gomer. Hosea marries Gomer, and and over the course of their marriage, he he has one child with her that's his, and then there are two children that come into the family uh, by virtue of her adulterous relationships. So Hosea has one child with Gomer, but... He adopts two children that aren't his that, he, that she's had from adulterous relationships. She pursues this lifestyle, pursues this lifestyle. And what does Hosea do in chapter two? We see that, that he pursues her. He pursues her in the very defiance and rebellion that she chooses to live in. So we come to chapter three where Gomer's adulterous lifestyle has landed her in captivity. She's pursued this lifestyle and she, she finds herself in slavery. See, there are three ways that people became slaves in this time. Either you were conquered and you were taken into slavery. You were born into a family of slaves. We know that neither of those two were true of, of Gomer. And the third way that you became a slave is you, you worked yourself into some kind of debt that you couldn't pay off. And because of that reality, you became captive to the one that you owed. You became slave to the one that you owed, and this is what is true of Gomer. She's worked herself into some kind of debt that she can't pay off. So the question for us this morning is what will Hosea do? What will he do? Here's his wife, his adulterous wife, who's found herself in captivity, found herself in slavery. What will Hosea do? Will he leave her Give her over to the end that she certainly deserves because of her lifestyle, because of her choices, because of her rebellion? Or will He redeem her? The bigger question, though, for us this morning is this. What will God do with us? Because you see in the, in the prophecy of Hosea, Hosea plays the part of God, and we play the part of Gomer. See, we've worked ourselves into a debt that we can't pay off, and so we are captive. We are enslaved to our sin. The question is, what will God do with us? Here's the path that we're going to take through this text. I want to give you the four points of the sermon uh, before we get into it. Point number one is this, the heart of redeeming love. What is the heart of redeeming love? We'll find that in chapter 3, verse 1. Number two, the price of redeeming love. What is the price of redeeming love? We'll find that in chapter 3, verse 2. Number three, the fruit of redeeming love. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And then number four, the goal of redeeming love. What is the goal of redeeming love? Chapter 3, verse 5. Let's read our text in full, and then let's unpack these points from the text. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word for us this morning. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Again, this is God's word for us this morning. Unpacking this text, I see the first observation here being the heart of redeeming love. What is the heart of redeeming love? Look at verse 1. And the Lord said, To me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. The heart of redeeming love is this. It is a divinely determined persistence. This, in a nutshell, is the heart of redeeming love. It is a divinely determined persistence. Persistence. See, God calls Hosea to do what? He calls Hosea to go again. He says, And as the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is also an adulteress. See, this is not the kind of, of go again that you will hear from people that have just gotten off of a roller coaster and are really excited about getting back on hey, hey, let's, let's go again. Okay, th- this isn't the kind of go again that God is talking to Hosea about. Th- th- this isn't the, the kind of go again that, that we typically get excited about. This is the kind of go again that you, that you hear when you're, when you're learning to ride a bike and you fall off. And your mom or your dad pulls you aside and says, here, here get up, get back on the bike, and let's go again. Hosea is being called to go again to a place where something went terribly wrong. God is calling Hosea to go again and to to love a woman who has betrayed him. To love a woman who who has persisted in an adulterous lifestyle. God is calling Hosea to go again to a place of pain and heartbreak. And let's be clear as we... Look at verse 1. We can only only, uh, decipher what we see from the text. Is that not not right? It's not as if Gomer is on Hosea's doorstep, broken and begging for forgiveness. That would be a completely different story, right? If God says, Hosea, go again and and love Gomer. You see, she's, she's on your doorstep here. She's broken. She's weeping. She's pleading and asking for your forgiveness. That would be one thing. But that thing isn't happening here. God is asking Hosea to go again and to love Gomer while she is presently and actively defiling their marriage. She's not knocking on the door and asking for forgiveness. No, she is purposely pursuing an adulterous lifestyle at this moment. And God's calling Hosea to go again and to love her. Not only is she presently and actively being unfaithful, but unfaithfulness was the very characteristic that defined her. Do you see what it says in verse 1? Go again and love a woman who is presently and actively being loved by another man and is an adulteress. Presently and actively pursuing an adulterous relationship, but, but her very characteristic is that of pursuing a rebellious relationship. How can Hosea possibly go again and love her? How? How can he go again and love a woman who is loved by another man? This is not the kind of call the world attaches to love, is it? This is not what we see in our world and in our society. To go again and to love someone who is presently and actively rebelling against you this is not the kind of love that our society promotes but this is this is exactly the kind of love that god calls his people to and i believe god gives hosea both the grace and the fuel to go again and to love when it seems impossible what is the grace what is the fuel What is the grace for you? What is the fuel for you to go again and to love those that it's difficult to love? Here's the key phrase from verse 1. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. That's the key phrase. See, in the midst of this most difficult call, God is saying to Hosea, you can go again and love because I have gone again. And loved. See, the heart of redeeming love is a divinely determined persistence. Hosea can go again and love his wife Gomer only because God has gone again and loved His people Israel. This kind of love is what God wants to display to His people through Hosea's marriage. This is both the grace and the fuel for Hosea because guess what? This go again and love... Reality is exactly what God has done for Hosea. Hosea is one of the many in a generation of people who have been saved by God, who have been rescued by God, who have been pursued by God. Hosea wasn't, wasn't born w- w- with a perfect life, with a spotless record. Certainly God had to go again and love Hosea. See, the people of Israel have forsaken God for another. They've forsaken God for another as their protector, as their provider, and their all-satisfying lover. Yet God goes again to love them. What we need to see from this text this morning is that, that, that we, you and I, we are Gomer. We are Israel in this story. We have sought another provider. We have pursued someone else to to bring us satisfaction in our life. We have pursued other things than God. And as a result of that, we are held captive to that reality. We are held captive to that sin. yet, God divinely determined to persist in His love for you. Determined it. Persisted in it. God's divine love for his people is to be Hosea's grace and fuel for his love for Gomer. You want to know how you can love those that it's difficult to love? Consider God's love for you. You want to know how how to go again and to love someone who's betrayed you? Consider God's love for you in spite of your betrayal of him. Are we a go again and love kind of people? Or are we a, well, I've put myself out there and, and I've been burned, so I'll never love them again kind of people. I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and, and you've, been, you've been hurt by someone. You've been betrayed by someone. You've been deceived by someone. You've been opposed by someone. The call to you from this text is to go again and love. Why? Why are we to go again in love? The reason that we are to go again in love is because there's something altogether greater being displayed and at stake when we do. When we go again in love, there's something altogether greater than, than us that's on display and at stake when we pursue this kind of love. It is the very display of God Himself. The heart of redeeming love is a divinely determined persistence. And this is most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, As the days drew near, what did Christ do? He set His face like a stone towards Jerusalem. He persisted in His love for you as He he pursued the cross. He fixed His face like a flint, unmoving in His determined persistence for the cross. But I want you to know that redeeming love isn't merely a divinely determined persistence, but there's also a price. There is a heart of redeeming love which is determined persistence. But there's also a price of redeeming love. Look at verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. See, redeeming love is not an enterprise with no cost. Redeeming love begins with desire, begins with persistence, but it culminates with substance you see if if redeeming love stopped at the heart at the desire at the persistence but but didn't but didn't culminate with substance redeeming love would be worthless but redeeming love has a cost and it has a substance see hosea must pay a price to redeem gomer she's incurred a debt this debt must be paid her lifestyle has led her to a place that that she probably never thought she would end up. When she set out on this lifestyle, she probably thought that she had it all under control. But her pursuit and engagement in sin has has led her to a place that that she probably never thought she would end up. She's now a slave to the things she thought she had control of. She's owned by the very things she thought she was managing. And now there will be a cost to her freedom. And it's a cost that she can't pay on her own. How do we know that? Because she's still in captivity. If she could pay the debt that was owed, wouldn't she just pay it and and be out from under this captivity? But she's not. She She needs a redeemer. Because her freedom is costing something that she can't pay on her own. You and I, We never really account for the wages of our sin, do we? Not really. We're never really able to manage how far our sin takes us, are we? We're numbed by the allure of satisfaction and pleasure when all we're really getting is a captivity that leads us to death. See, Gomer was pursuing something that she thought was providing something for her, was fulfilling something for her, was, was, was providing a need that she thought she needed met, when all that she was really getting was, was this captivity, this enslavement that was leading her to death and, at death, and the same is true of our sin. We think we have control over our sin, that we're managing our sin, that it's, that it's providing us something that we need or that we want, when in reality, all we're getting is is a slavery and a captivity that leads to death. And because of that, there is a cost to our freedom. And it's a cost that we can't pay on our own. See, redeeming love will cost Hosea more than a moving speech. He, he can't approach the man who owns Gomer now and just, and just give a moving speech about how Gomer is his Wife and how he's loved her and how he's pursued her. And so if he'll just let her go, that would, that would be just fine with, with Hosea. It's going to cost Hosea more than that. It's going to require more than shrewd negotiation skills. See, what Hosea has to do is first he has to humble himself. Hosea has to humble himself. And then according to verse 2, he has to, he has to buy her. He has to purchase her. From his own lot. He has, to, he has to give of himself to purchase his wife. This sacrifice that we see in verse 2 from Hosea is but a microscopic glimpse of what it cost God to redeem us. See, God humbled himself. God gave of himself. Redeeming love cost the Father the blood of His Son. That's the cost of our redemption. The cost of our redemption is the Father in heavens giving up, giving over His Son, sending Him to die to shed His blood on the cross for our sin. Let me read a few verses to help us see this. Matthew Chapter 20, verse 28 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a what? As a ransom. See, the blood of Christ is the, the purchasing cost for sinful rebels like you and like me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed, ransomed from what from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers what were we ransomed with not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot again first peter chapter 2 verse 24 speaking of Christ he himself bore our sins In his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been set free. By his wounds, you have been ransomed from slavery to life. See, Hosea's redeeming of Gomer foreshadows for us God's plan of redemption this this one husband's redemption of his wife foreshadows for us God's plan of redemption that that includes people from every tribe people from every tongue people from every nation he will pay the ransom for a captive people with his own blood see if we do away with the blood we do away with salvation if we see fit to do away with the blood of Christ, we then see fit to do away with salvation altogether because the only way that you and I can ever be redeemed from captivity is through the shed blood of the perfect Lamb on our behalf. Gomer certainly didn't do anything to merit Hosea's redeeming love, did she? She wasn't asking to be redeemed she wasn't pleading to be redeemed she was persisting in her rebellion and you and i do nothing to merit the redemption that god offers us through the blood of jesus christ while there is a heart of redeeming love and a cost to redeeming love the cost of redemption is not without its expectation on the redeemed Look at verses 3 and 4 as we consider the fruit of redeeming love. Hosea has purchased his bride back in verse 2, and in verse 3 he addresses her, and he says, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. See, Gomer has been purchased. That's what it means to be redeemed. It means you've been purchased from one owner and, and, and purchased by another. She's been purchased. She is now owned by Hosea. And we consider our own salvation and our own redemption. You and I, in Christ, are a ransomed people. We're a purchased people. Our lives are no longer our own. Technically, Gomer's life was no longer her own. Our ultimate loyalty is to our Redeemer. We have the responsibility of obedience. We are subjects. See, redeeming love, while solely and completely initiated and accomplished by God, it calls us to a response. That's what you see in verse 3. Hosea, the Redeemer, is asking Gomer, the redeemed, to do what? To honor their marriage. He's saying, I have purchased you back, and now you must dwell as mine for many days. You have been purchased. You're a redeemed person. You're a redeemed bride, and my call to you is now to honor the marriage honor the relationship. He's calling her to repent from her former life and to live in faithfulness to her husband. You must dwell as mine for many days. And here's the repentance. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. The fruit of redeeming love is the the call to honor the marriage, to honor the relationship. And it's a call to repent from the former lifestyle. Repentance is the fruit of the accomplished and effective work of redemption. Let us not mistake that. Let us not believe that that there is no call or responsibility on behalf of those who are redeemed. No repentance, turning from sin and turning to Christ, is the fruit of the accomplished and effective work of redemption. How do we do that? How do we we faithfully turn from sin and turn to Christ? How do we faithfully pursue obedience and honor the marriage that, that we've been redeemed into? How do we do that? What does God base this expectation on? The good news is He bases His expectation for our faithfulness on his own faithfulness. Do you see what, what he says at the, verse of, at, at the end of verse 3? You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And then what does he say? This last part. So will I also be to you. Hosea is saying, you have to honor the marriage. You, you, have, to, you, you have to be faithful to the marriage. And you can be faithful to the marriage because you can be certain That I will be faithful to the marriage. That I have been faithful to the marriage. Do you know why you can be faithful to God? Do you know why you can be obedient to the word of God? Because God is faithful. The reason we can be faithful is because God has been faithful. In this story, has Hosea given Gomer any reason to doubt his faithfulness? No, no, she's pursued other lovers over and over and over again. And what has Hosea done? He married her knowing that she would do it. He had a child with her. He adopted two children that weren't even, that weren't even his own. He pursued her in her unfaithfulness. He provided for her in her unfaithfulness. And he redeemed her in spite of her unfaithfulness. Has Hosea given Gomer any reason to doubt his faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let me ask you this. What cause has God given you to respond to him any other way than faith and repentance? Has God given you any reason to doubt his faithfulness? Has he given you any reason to doubt his faithfulness to his relationship with you? If not, then why would we respond any other way than faithfulness and obedience to what we see Him calling us to in His Word? See, when we truly understand the grace of redeeming love, there's only one response. Surrender. When Gomer sees what Hosea has done for her, there's only one right response. Surrender of course I'll be faithful to the marriage. Of course I will turn away from having other lovers. When you and I, when we see the truth of the gospel, when we understand the grace that God has given to us in Jesus Christ, there is only one right response. And it is absolute and total and complete surrender. It is repentance and belief. See, anyone can confess that they've been redeemed. It, it's, it's a simple thing to do. You simply say, hey, I've been redeemed. I'm a Christian. I follow after Christ. Anyone can say that. Just like I can stand here and tell you that I'm wearing a green suit. It's easy. It's easy to say that. It's easy, it's easy to offer these kinds of words But unless the fruit of redemption is on display in your life, then your confession of Christ is as true as me telling you that I have on a green suit. You know that I don't have on a green suit because because that's not what you see as a reality. And, And when we are professing Christ in all truth and faithfulness, what will be on display in our life? Repentance and belief. Faithfulness and obedience. See, what we, what we see in verse 4 is that God has every intention of purifying His bride. And in order to purify His bride, He will purge His people away from the things that they use to defile their relationship with God. Look, look at what verse 4 says. For the children of Israel shall dwell for many days without what? Without king or prince. Wasn't a bad thing for them to have a king or a prince, but guess what? They had set the, the king and the prince up on a pedestal. They, they worshiped the king and the prince. They defiled their relationship with God in this regard. And so God will, will purge his people from that idol without sacrifice or pillar. Guess what? God instituted the sacrifices, but the people of Israel were defiling their relationship by sacrificing to foreign gods. So what's God going to do? He's going to to purge that idol away from them. Without ephod or household gods, God's going to purge His people. He's going to bring them into a wilderness. He's going to bring them into a valley so that according to chapter 2, He can speak tenderly to His bride. See, Gomer must learn to abide in her husband's love. God's people must learn to abide in His love. See, because we've been bought with the price, we have an obligation of allegiance. We have an obligation of surrender to our Redeemer. You and I, we must continue on in our repentance until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to save us to sin no more. Finally, finally, What is the goal of redeeming love? Look at verse 5. Afterward, children of Israel shall return. See, this is after the purging. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days the goal of redeeming love is the restoration of right relationship and worship that's the goal the goal of redeeming love is the restoration of right relationship and worship what we're seeing in verse 5 is 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 a promise that 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 when 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 people see the grace that god extends to them in christ there's going to be a return When the folly of idolatry is seen in the light of God's grace, there will be restoration and there will be a returning. This is what we see. They will return and they will seek the Lord and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness. There's going to be a restoration of right relationship and right worship. There will be a returning to the right king in the right way to reap the goodness of God's inheritance. Verse 5 is no small thing being communicated to the people of Israel. God is saying to the ten northern tribes of Israel that they're going to return to worship in Judah, a place and a people that they've hated now for over 200 years. How are they going to respond to that? The ten northern tribes, they have their own nation. They have their own leadership. They have their own system for worship. They have their own places for worship. See, but many years before, God promised that the rightful and eternal king would come from the line of David. We don't have time, but we could go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and see where God promised this to David, that his line would would extend throughout all eternity, that, that the Messiah would be born of his blood and from his line. But this king was not David. The king that God spoke of was not Solomon. It was not Rehoboam. It was not Hezekiah. God here in Hosea 3 verse 5 is looking ahead to King Jesus, who would be born from the line of David. So the goal here in verse 5 is not to get Israel to the right place, but it's to get Israel to the right person. The goal of restoration is not to get back to the, to, to the place as much as it is to get to the right person, to the right king, it is a return to the rightful king who is Christ. Who is your king? Who or what rules your heart? Do you want to know how to identify who your king is? Do you want to know how to identify? who or what rules your heart, then answer the question, who or what do you serve? What is it that you serve in your life? What is it that you give your time and attention and your resources to? The answer to that question lies in in the content of that reality. It's who you give yourself to. That's who or what rules your heart. See, God is not calling you to a place He's calling you to a person. He's calling you to the rightful king. We are to seek the Lord where He may be found. And He may be found in Christ alone. But you see, we're also to seek the Lord how He may be found. How may He be found? It says, afterward the children of Israel shall return to seek the Lord their God and David their king. And and here is how the Lord may be found. They shall come in what? In fear to the Lord. Here we see that it's only through a holy reverence that we're able to approach the throne of the rightful king. See, when we come to Christ, we don't come to Him with demands. When a subject comes to a king, they don't come to the king with demands No, they come to Him with surrender. We don't come to the rightful King with a divided loyalty, do we? We don't bow before the throne of Christ and say, I'll worship You on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the rest of the week, I've got it set aside for this thing over here. No, we come with a holy reverence. We don't make demands of the King and we don't come before the King with a divided loyalty. We come to Him in full view of who He is. And this results in an attitude of I am your servant. Do with me what you will. Ask of me what you will. I'm yours. See, when we come to the rightful king in the right way, we're lavished with his goodness. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. See, when it comes down to it, what you and I desire, what everyone desires, is protection. We desire protection. We desire provision. We desire satisfaction. We desire fulfillment. We desire identity. We desire purpose. What I believe this text is telling us is that, that nothing provides these things like God in all of His goodness found in Jesus Christ who in His goodness purchased for us salvation through the blood of His Son. The blood of His Son who is coming again to consummate all of the things that we desire in the new heavens, in the new earth. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Let me show you what the, what the goodness is of God is here in its consummated reality. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. When we come to the right king in the right way, this new heavens and new earth is the goodness in which we dwell for all eternity. It is what God provides for the rebel in his son, Jesus Christ. We sang a hymn this morning. It's titled, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And the end of one of the verses reads like this. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. May there be no other theme of our life. May it be the grounds on which we trust God for our justification. May it be the grounds on which we trust daily for our growth in holiness. May it be the glorious motivator in our prayer for the lost and obedience to the Great Commission. May it be the grounds on which we hope for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a glorious truth that we come to in Hosea chapter 3. That we see ourselves so fully and clearly in the role of Gomer, a people who have betrayed their Creator, a people who have said that they would rather be their own king than to serve the king that you are. But in spite of that, God, you provide the redeeming cost of our redemption. You purchase us. And you don't do it with with silver, and you don't do it with gold, and you don't do it with dollar bills that perish. But you do it with something that's imperishable. You purchase us with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. A blood that is able to redeem because it is perfect, it is holy, it is pure, and it is righteous. And what you tell us is, You impute that very righteousness to us when we trust in Christ for salvation. And I pray, Father, that your redeeming love for us would be the very thing that drives us each and every day, to love one another, to love you, and to love this lost world around us. May we give them Christ and nothing else. We ask this in His name. Amen.